good. Those kids were probably some of the quietest kids I've ever seen on this stage, if I can be completely honest with you. Um, it's typically at least one's a ruckus, but not this morning. That was neat to see. Um, and not a standard to live by, you know? If your kids don't do that, it's okay, okay? So don't feel that pressure going forward. Let's just be real. We're in a series, if you guys haven't been tracking, I'll, I'll catch up to speed real quick. We're, we're working through our vision and our distinctives, uh, taking kind of the last couple of weeks, the next few weeks, and just asking the question, if it's true that foundations are extremely important to the infrastructure of a building, then therefore it is really important for us to know what is our foundation as a community. What are we building on as we move forward? And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about our vision, that we are committed as a community. If you want to know who we are, we are committed to seeing lives transformed and our city renewed with the gospel of Jesus. That's what we're putting all of our eggs in that, in that specific basket. Uh, we're doing so with four specific distinctives. We are a gospel-centered community. We value and lean upon and stand on the message of Jesus. To bring any transformation to us is going to come through the message and life of Jesus. We're gospel-centered. Secondly, we are contemplative. And so last, last week we talked about uh, our culture and the rhythm and the pace and the speed of our culture. And yet the invitation of Jesus to slow down and be with him. So that's what we mean when we say contemplative. We value slowing down to be with Jesus. And so this week, we're going to talk about authentic, and I'll tell you about that for the next 30 minutes. And then lastly, we're uh, missional, which we'll hit next week. And so those are the four distinctives that make up who we are as a community. So for us this morning, I want to consider what it means to be authentic. What does that value? What does that distinctive mean? So there's a guy named Charles Taylor in his seminal work, A Secular Age. He wrote about how the West has changed from a culture of authority meaning that we, are, we used to be a culture that submitted to authority, we submitted to structure, we submitted to God and tradition and the scripture, and we've moved from that to a culture of what he would call authenticity, meaning we used to uh, live by these external structures, and now the thing that drives us for the majority of the Western culture is this internal, authentic self and what it wants. And so that's the thing that's now shaping and shifting us as we move forward, whatever our self wants. And so in secularism, authenticity means the embrace of coming as you are. And we hear this over and over again in our context, in our culture. This, this phrase, come as you are, we get these popularized phrases like, you do you. Phrases like, speak your truth. Phrases like, be true to yourself. Phrases like follow your heart. So the self is now the gold standard. That is now the norm for Western society. That's what it looks like to live in context in this Western civilization. However, we were not designed. God did not design us for ourself to be the guiding principle. We were never designed for ourself to be the uh, autonomous guiding principle. That's actually crushing for humanity. That's partially why we have an uptick in anxiety, because there's more to it than that, but it's not less than that. This pressure that we feel that we have to define ourselves, we have to carry what God was only designed to carry, we feel the pressure to carry ourselves. So that guiding principle of, of you do you married with uh, being told that we have to allow our desires to define who we are. And the reality is our desires contradict and our heart, oftentimes, it can't be trusted. Like, think about it like this. I want to be a good and present dad, 
but I also want to just shut my door and watch sports for a lot of hours. Like, isn't that conflicting? That's two desires that I feel simultaneously. I want to live content, living generously, and I also want to buy a bunch of stuff. We have conflicting desires. I want to soak my mind in the scripture and my mind in the word and be a prayerful man. And I also just want to stay up and watch the next series on Netflix. I guess we have conflicting desires. And so if we allow our desires to define us and shape us and be the deciding factor of how we do things, we're going to be all over the place. We are conflicted. So being true to yourself is horrible advice. And it is not the way of Jesus. So give it time, and secular authenticity always leads to slavery. A pursuit of autonomy will always lead to enslavement. Just give it enough time. You run the course, and you live out the desires that you want in your heart. You give it enough time, and you'll find that you'll become enslaved to something you did not realize that you would be enslaved to. So the invitation of Jesus isn't just to come as you are. It is to come as you are and not stay there. And that's what we mean when we say authentic. We want to be a community who comes as we are, yet we're not willing to stay there. This is the invitation. This is the distinctive that we're wanting to talk about this morning, to be authentic. To be authentic means that we want to come as we are, but not stay there. It's an invitation not to enslavement. It's an invitation to deep, meaningful transformation. So at Sojourn Connect, which is what we do every quarter, it's an opportunity. If you're new or newer to our community, it's going to be happening uh, in June. It's a time where you can learn more about who we are, our leadership, and dial into our distinctives and where we're going. Um, and at Sojourn Connect, we go through a pretty lengthy document of kind of uh, articulating the things that we adhere to. And so in Sojourn Connect, there's a paragraph here that I want to reference about what it means to be authentic. At Sojourn, we invite you to come as you are. No matter where you are in your journey of faith, we desire that you would feel safe to come with your questions, your doubts, and your hopes, and together we can allow the beauty and truth of God's word through God's spirit to change us. However, we don't end with come as you are because the gospel offers us more than staying where we are. It invites us to something much more wonderful. We say come as you are, but don't stay there because we believe the power of the gospel through the spirit has the ability to lead us into maturity and transformation. This is what I mean when I say authentic and what we value when it, when it comes to authenticity. See, the Christian journey is a journey. It's not an end goal. It is a journey, and it's a journey of progressive transformation and sanctification. So this is what Jesus has invited us into, and I just want to drill into this this morning. I want to consider what it looks like for Jesus not just to change our outer but to change our inner self and actually form us more into the image of Jesus. So we're going to look at this, what it means to come as you are and not stay there. I got a few texts I want to look at. Again, I said Galatians. Some of you are there. Most of you aren't. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. You're welcome to bring your Bible here. I know that might sound crazy, but you're welcome to bring your Bible and you're welcome to open it. There's something beautiful about just feeling the text. But if you don't like that, you prefer your phone and, and getting headaches from the blue light, you're welcome to do that. And so you can just open up your app to the, uh, to the Bible app if you have it. But Galatians 4, we're going to look at a few texts in Galatians. Again, this is written to the church. This isn't written to people that are lost. This is written to followers of Jesus. And what does Paul say to these two churches in Galatia and in Ephesus? In Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, 
we just get this snippet of Paul's heart. He says this, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So we get this buildup, and, and Paul begins to articulate that there's been a situation that's happened in this church in Galatia where the, uh, the people in Galatia, these people, these, this house church that was in Galatia, they'd begun to get confused about what the gospel was and what the gospel wasn't. So you enter Galatians 1, you begin to hear that Paul is concerned about what they're now believing about the gospel. They've added to the gospel. It's not just faith and the grace of Jesus, but it's adding to it. We've got to do all these things to find favor with God. And, and Paul begins to lay out what he means and what the gospel means, what Jesus meant about the gospel, and then it culminates, and, and Paul just kind of pouring his heart out to these people, and he, he culminating in this phrase where he says he wants to see Christ formed in the people in this church in Galatia. So Paul's, Paul's a single dude. He likely never seen a baby be delivered. So you got to cut him some slack if this analogy isn't ideal. The, 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 the childbirth, the anguish of childhood, I'm not sure if he had actually seen that or not, but the point is that his heart is put on display here. How much he desired and how important it was for Christ to be formed in the church in Galatia. And the same one that... Paul, if you are familiar with the Bible, you know this story, that Paul wasn't always this dude who was pretty passionate about the Christian faith and following Jesus. Prior to, he actually wanted to kill Christians. And so he was on this road, this path, this, this, uh, yeah, this path uh, on his way to this place called Damascus. And on his way to this place called Damascus, Jesus showed up to him. He knocked Paul off of his horse, and Paul had this encounter with the risen Jesus. And it was that same Jesus that told his disciples, go into the world and make disciples and teach them what it looks like to follow me. And so Paul knew how important it was to see Christ formed in the church in Galatia and to see Christ formed in every church he had context, uh, con- uh, ha- had interacted with. So the heart of discipleship, at the heart of this message of this one who knocked Paul off the horse is to see Christ formed in us, to see discipleship happen. This is what discipleship means, for Christ to be formed in us. So to make disciples is to see Christ, Jesus, formed in our inner being. So a quick history lesson around discipleship from a Messianic Jewish post. I want to just give you a little context for what discipleship meant for Jesus and for Paul in the first century. It says this, the Hebrew word for disciple is Talmud. Talmud means student. A Talmud was a student of one of the sages. A Talmud's job was to learn everything that his master had to teach. The disciples of first century Judaism learned everything from their teacher and learned to be just like their teacher. They learned the stories that the teacher told. They learned the lessons that their teacher taught. They learned to eat the foods that their teacher ate the way their teacher ate them. They learned to keep the Sabbath the way their teacher kept Sabbath and to give charity the way their teacher gave charity. They learned to pray the way their teacher prayed and to fast the way their teacher fasted. They learned how to keep God's commands the way their teacher kept them. The disciples followed their teacher everywhere he went, and the teacher taught his disciples everything that he could. So to be a disciple, to be a Christian, isn't just to pray a prayer and then just live your life until you die and then you go on to the pearly gates. 
Like to follow Jesus is to actually allow Jesus to form everything about you. Not just to form you on Sunday, but to form you Tuesday afternoon in your meeting, to form you Wednesday night when you're doing your budget, to form you as you go on your date with your spouse. It, Jesus, he forms everything about us to the core. That is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. See, to be a disciple of Jesus or a Christian means that we take on the practices of Jesus, where we choose to be with him, we choose to become like him, and we choose to do what he did. So we're now learning to embrace him, to embrace his lifestyle, to allow him to form us at the core. So when we say we want to be contemplative, that means we want to be with Jesus. When we say we want to be authentic, that means we want to become like Jesus. And when we say we want to be missional, that means we want to do what Jesus did. And so Christ, uh, Paul, he desired for this community to be formed by Jesus. This is the invitation, to come as you are and not stay there. So you flip over a page and you see in Galatians 5, Paul lays this out a bit more in a chunk of a text. I'm going to read it to you in chapter 5, verse 16. Paul says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So a chapter later, we read this. Burdened to see Christ formed in this church, Paul recognized that the way to do so was to walk with the Spirit. So the helper had been given. Jesus had given the helper to the church, to every church, to every follower of Jesus, and Paul recognized that. He also recognized that our souls are conflicted. He knew this about us. He knew that we had this flesh, this orientation of the flesh. As long as we're here until Jesus comes again or we die, we have this flesh. And this flesh draws us to do things that we don't want to do. And yet at the same time, we have this spirit. If we're born again, if we have the spirit living in us, we have this spirit that's drawing us to be more like Jesus. And those things are like tug of wars. Has anybody felt that before? You have this flesh that's calling you over here, and then you have the spirit drawing you over here. Paul says, if you want to see Christ formed in you, you've got to walk with the spirit of Jesus. You've got to live with the spirit of Jesus. You've got to keep in step with the spirit of Jesus. You can't experience the fruit of Jesus if you're not in submission to Jesus. So likewise, come as you are. Come with your flesh even and leave it before Jesus. Let it not stay there. Let, not that, that, let that not be your driving force. Let the Spirit shape you and mold you. Come as you are, but don't stay there. And the last thing in Ephesians 4, we read this text starting in verse 17. 
Paul says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every evil, every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And so again, Paul writes to Christians, and he recognizes that we have to actively put off the old self. There are tendencies, there are habits, there's things we've learned from our parents, there's things we learn from our culture, that we have habits, and there are things that we have to put off, and we have to actively put on other things to actively follow Jesus. He says, don't just become a subculture of the world. You know, you will, ne- we, you will never be distinct if you take the world into the church. We're never going to be distinct. We're never going to be a city on the hill. We're never going to be unique. We're never going to be different to this world if we look just like the world, but we just show up on a Sunday morning here. He says, don't walk as the Gentiles do. He says, be formed by Jesus. See, we didn't learn discipleship this way is what he says. This was never the plan of the church. The plan for the church was for us to be distinct. The plan for the church was for us to be a a water to the soul of the world around us. The the plan of the church was for us to be an oasis in the desert, to be hope in darkness, to be light in chaos. And if we allow the world, if we allow politics, we allow secularism in the people of the church, then everything beautiful about the church becomes muted. Have you ever muted a TV? What can't you hear when you mute a TV? You can't hear anything, right? And likewise, if we allow that to happen for us as well, we stay just like the church and we don't become distinct, then we will be just like the world and we will be muted to the world. He says, put it off. Put off those former ways. Come as you are, but don't stay there. Recognize your shortcomings. Hear Jesus' invitation. Come as you are, but don't stay there. That's what we mean when we say to be authentic. So to be authentic means that we want to be a community who is willing to take off our masks and to actually grow together. We actually want to value taking off our masks and growing together. You see, because the gospel, there is no condemnation which means that you are not defined by your successes or your failures. And it's here that we can be a community of grace where we can repent and grow actively together, which means we can come with celebration together and we can come with sorrow together. And the reality is the church isn't very good uh, of, about lamenting and being sorrowful. We can, we can celebrate, but we don't know what it looks like to actually engage pain and difficulty and sorrow. And we want to be a place where we can do that. To celebrate good seasons, but also recognize that there are hard seasons that we're going through. Come as you are. Don't wear your mask. There's dark seasons we can be experiencing. There can be confusing uh, seasons that we can be experiencing. But we believe that God meets us in every season that we're in. There's times where it's easy, times where it's hard. And we want to be a support and a buoy for each other 
so that we can actually grow together. See, it's our work to know where we are and discern where God is in our journey. And it's our work to be curious about where we are. Like for you right now, what, where are you? Are you in a season where things are going well or things are really difficult? And what are you doing with that? Are you highlighting the celebrations and suppressing the difficult things? And we're never going to grow if we wear a mask. And we're invited to come as we are and not stay there. To embrace our reality, whatever our reality is. It is the message of Jesus that frees us to come as we are and not stay there. So I want to end our time with four cultural values that we want to adopt as we become a people who are being authentic. The first is this. We want to allow the gospel to define our identity. Truly, to allow the message of Jesus to be the greatest identity shaper in our lives. Friends, you are more than what you do. You are more than what you produce. You are more than what you have. And you're more than where you are in the spectrum of worldly success. It'd be sad if we were just the summation of those things. But we're not. As followers of Jesus, we are defined and redefined by the love of Jesus. It becomes the most important things to us. So friends, we are invited because of that to take your mask off. To exhale. To take the false self-jacket that I'll get into in just a minute off and to recognize that in spite of your accomplishments and failures, you are loved by Jesus. And that's good news for all types of us, that that is the core reality that defines us. And for me, I've mentioned this before, I'll share it again, that my journey, I I learned through a variety of reasons uh, that to be lovable, I don't know what was the cause of this, but to be lovable, I had to prove that I I had to prove it with my life. I had to prove that I was lovable with my life. So I I began to believe, I don't know why, but I began to believe that I was the summation of my works and my accolades, that I needed to impress people or I failed. And so for a lot of my life, up until about six years ago, seven years ago, I lived functioning, not aware of that, just living my life in that way. And it all came to a head. Uh, We planted Sojourn almost 10 years ago. And um, I had hit this, like, emotional wall. And for me, it played out. It was a Mother's Day in 2014. Again, I've shared this story before. It's been very impactful for my life. Uh, It was a Mother's Day 2014. We had planted a few years before that. We started the church a few years before that. And uh, it was a Mother's Day. We were meeting at a Lutheran church at the time. Uh, We were meeting in the evening. And so we had a very small community. We had not grown since we had started, and we, about half of our people were with their moms, as they should have been. And so I had had a friend who'd come in to preach that Sunday, um, that evening, and he was planning a church uh, south of here, and his core group, which is like the group that you have before you plant, was three or four times the size of our group two years in. And so he came, he shared, he, we were just teeny-weeny, and he left, and Alex and I were talking, I just felt this sense of embarrassment. And it was like the first time where like I lifted my head up and I looked a few years into what we had done at that point and realized that there was nothing that proved that I was at all valuable in comparison to my summation of my accolades. And it triggered a billion emotions in my soul that I did not know existed. I'm an emotional guy, but I'm not, historically, I was not connected to my emotions. All of a sudden, I felt things that I had never felt 
before, angry, frustrated. I wanted to quit. I wanted to give up. I was so frustrated on why God led us the way he led us, confused on why we were where we were. I mean, you name it, I was disheartened and probably in a place of depression. And from there, I went to counseling, and I began to take my mask off, began to recognize that I was defining myself by things that I didn't know that I was defining myself by, things that Jesus never called me to define myself by. And over time, I began to see Jesus' invitation to not define myself by my summation of my accolades or my failures. That those things don't do anything to me. That I heard this phrase from somebody and it just resonated in my soul. That the love of Jesus is the most important thing about you. And because of it, you have nothing to prove. The love of Jesus. Like truly, this isn't just like... You know, I feel, I feel like sometimes even us dudes can kind of hear this and be like, oh, that's good for a women's conference. But like, no, for us, <laughs> like for real, like the love of Jesus is the most important thing about you. And because of it, you have nothing to prove. Your career is never going to give you what you think it's going to give you. Your future dreams are never going to give you what you think it's going to give you. But the love of Jesus is the most important thing about you. And because of it, you have nothing to prove. Henry Nouwen says, I am the beloved child of a loving creator. And we, we need, this is an oasis to our soul. See, you are loved by Jesus in spite of your accomplishments and in spite of your failures. See, we want to allow the gospel to, not just on Sundays, but in our lives, actually shape our identity. That's a cultural value we have. Secondly, we want to deal with our past. We want to deal with our past. Your family of origin is the single greatest influence in your life, for better or worse. And some of us have lived all of our life, never once engaging the most important influence in your life. And oftentimes you wonder why you explode irregularly. You wonder why you carry this pressure. You wonder why you can't stop working. You wonder why you run to alcohol. You wonder, wonder why you run to X, Y, and Z, and you never looked back and said, oh my gosh, I'm just like my dad. I'm just like my grandpa. I'm just like my mom. And those things actually shape us and form us to the people we are. So we want to become aware of those tendencies. Pete Scazzaro, who wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he says, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa is in your bones right? And we feel that. We can live all of our life to our deathbed, never looking back and never saying, man, I have taken on these influences that are counter to Jesus and have never allowed Jesus to meet me in those places. We just ignore it. What's, what's in the past is in the past. No, it's not. It's in you now. And it's shaping you today. And it's shaping how you can't be emotional with your spouse. It's shaping you why you, you try to busy yourself and cope and numb in certain ways that keep you from actually engaging and being honest and actually growing. We take the mask off and we give ourselves the opportunity for Jesus to actually meet us. This is why it's good news. Like the gospel isn't just about then. It's about now. It's about Jesus shaping you and forming you today into his image. It's the beauty. It's the beauty of the gospel. Yeah. So to become like Jesus, we have to take a few notes. That the culture I grew up affects me now. That my family of origin affects me now. And Jesus has the power news, because you feel it. I know, we try to be a hospital here. We don't, we don't pretend. We try not to pretend here. 
that we have this tendency to feel like our shame or our pain or our difficulties from our past is just our reality. And man, Jesus offers us something so much better. It is helpful for us to know the areas we need to put off, the tendencies that we put off so we can grow together. I recommend there's, there's many different ways to do it. There's a thing called a genogram. Uh, anytime you walk with me through, if you're getting married and, and you do premarital here, I, I require that every couple takes this test called a genogram. It's going to be in the email. It's too long of a URL. It's just, no one's going to look at that. I just didn't even want to put it up there. But there's a URL I'm going to send in our Sojourn Weekly coming up. And you can take, you can use this. It's an opportunity for you to look at your great-grandparents. If you know them, probably not. But potentially, if you're crazy to do the 23andMe thing, then you'll know a little bit about them. But then you take your grandparents you take your parents, you take your aunts and uncles, you take your siblings, and you evaluate what are, what are some trends, what are some similarities that they all had, and oh my gosh, I happen to have them as well, and actually evaluate some of those things. See, the great news of Christianity is that your biological family and its past doesn't determine your future, but we have to be honest with our past. We have to be honest with our past. So that's our second cultural value. We actually want to do the hard work, and it might feel hard now, but the liberty and the opportunity of transformation is great, but nothing that's beautiful comes easy. Third cultural value. We forgive as we have been forgiven. We forgive as we've been forgiven. See, as followers of Jesus, to be forgiven is baseline to who we are. Likewise, forgiveness is integral to our discipleship to Jesus. You know, we live in a world that's polluted with sin. We live in a world that's polluted with shame, and it actually affects our relationships. It's this broken world that we live in is marked by disappointment, it's marked by loss, it's marked by pain. Some of you guys are so aware of that even now. So as we've received forgiveness, we're invited to forgive as we've been forgiven. This is a radical practice but it's what Jesus invited us into. You know, we can't remove the hurts of memories, but we can change how we think and feel about them. We might always have those memories, but we can reshape what Jesus says about them. Though this may not lead to reconciliation because reconciliation takes two parties. You can't reconcile if it's only one, one party, but you can seek to forgive, to come as you are, and not stay there. You can be the keeper of your soul and not allow the disease of unforgiveness to carry you with you for the rest of your life. You can remember that you've been forgiven for things that you didn't deserve. And we can extend that even if it doesn't mean reconciliation. Lastly, cultural value of authenticity is that when we want to become a people who love well, the whole point of this isn't just to become a silo that's become developed and matured. Your soul has been matured in a silo. No, the, the point, the whole point is to give it away. There's a, there's a uh, writer who wrote a book called The Two Mountains, and I think his name is David Brooks, and in it he talks about the first mountain is you spend the majority of your life trying to figure out who you are, trying to make a name for yourself, trying to kind of figure out things in life. And the point, uh, and he, he comes at it from even a Christian perspective, the point is that the second mountain is, is li in life is to recognize that that didn't give you what you thought it would and that the goal in life is to give it away. That's what Jesus taught us. The goal of love is to give it away. The culmination of our growth 
is to resemble Christ. And he came, he didn't come to, to serve. He didn't come, sorry, he didn't come to be served. He came to serve, to give his life as a ransom. So with a free heart, seeing Jesus actually shape us to the core, we want to allow ourselves to become a people who love. And this is our hope, to be a people who love well. I mean, that's what 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says. That, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Rich Lotus, who is a pastor in, in New York, he says, he gives a clear definition when he says, Christian theology is not primarily about thinking a certain way, but living as people formed in the way of love. The point isn't just to gain a bunch of information. Because that actually can keep us from being known and actually growing. It actually is to become a people who love well. So our third distinctive is authenticity. We value coming as you are, but not staying where we are. That's the invitation that Jesus offers to us. And as we land, I, I'm going to offer us just a few things. We're going to have a, a few. Uh, Nick and Kristen Watts are going to be up here. Alex and I are going to be up here. Uh, man, I want to give you an opportunity to repent. If you feel like you're just in a time right now where, and when we say repent, it's not the corner, you know, burn or turn thing. It's, it's much more practical than that. It's you're going this way and repentance is turning towards Jesus. It's, it's, it's a very natural way that we live our lives as followers of Jesus. We, we find our, our hearts going this way and, and it turns. He invites us to turn to him over and over, even on a, an hourly uh, rhythm invites us to turn. Man, if you find in your own heart that you're, you're good at coming as you are, but you're not good and staying there, maybe Jesus is inviting you to turn, to turn your heart, to turn your mind to him afresh. Man, I just want to say this in a group this size, I have to, that some of you may be hiding. Don't. Don't. It never ends well. It always ends worse than you thought. So don't. Allow this moment to be an opportunity where you could turn before waiting in your heart even gets harder. Whatever that looks like for you, I invite you to not hide. But for all of us, man, it's to take a step. To take a step. To take a step and grow, and we value baby steps. Long obedience in the same direction. We just want to take baby steps as we follow Jesus together. And whatever that looks like for you, I want to invite you to that. We value coming as you are but not staying there. Amen? Let's pray. So Father, we give you thanks this morning for your mercy. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your care. We thank you that you care about us enough to not leave us where we are. Thank you that you're active and you're pursuing us and you're seeking us out and you're drawing us afresh, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, and my friends, this morning, I pray that you'd remind us of your love and your care. The love of Jesus is the most important thing about us, and because of it, we have nothing to prove. Let that echo in our soul afresh today, God. Give us the courage to take our mask off and just be honest with where we are and be willing to grow. Lord, we invite you. Committed to seeing lives transformed with your gospel. Let it be so by your spirit. In 
Jesus' name. Amen.